As many a believer has known the soul pinching of deep innate confusion and frustration over thinking that they knew God's will only to doubt that they ever did after all. Thinking you know his will and having what you thought turned out to be a sham is a great recipe for disillusionment. Perhaps that's even you. Now let's see if we can untangle some mysteries while keeping proper expectations of God's will as we proceed to live. If there is one question among Christians that always remains relevant and is often a big mystery, it's this, what is God's will for my life? Have you cracked the code Sometimes it takes a little bit of demystifying, but if God's will can be known, it raises the question as to how. If we are created for a purpose, and that purpose is to fulfill God's will for our lives, then we don't want to miss it. Think of it like this. All of us are accountable for the lives that we've been given, but accountable to what, you might ask? To fulfill His will, His purpose, His intent. You know the journey for which that He created us for. So I ask, do you know God's will for your life? If not, are you interested? If so, join us on this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense as Dr. Bobby Conway and I discuss this very important topic. Bobby, when we talk about God's will, what are we even talking about? Well, you're spot on. We don't want to miss this will that God has in store for us. Yeah. Because we were created for a purpose. Ephesians 4.17 says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Essentially, Tim, we're referring to what God desires for our life, why he created us and what did he create us for? It's that kind of thing. And there are different ways, Tim, which theologians have sought to make God's will understandable. Some have talked about his two wills, that being his perfect or his imperfect will. Others have talked about God having three wills, uh, being his intentional will, his permissive will, and his ultimate will, perhaps like how things are going to wrap up uh, when all is said and done. But as I've reflected, I by no means have arrived at the conclusion of the matter, but here is a helpful way for me to understand God's will. Think of it like this. God has a moral and a missional will. So God's moral will is written on our hearts in Romans chapter two, for example. Uh, And it's also discovered in his word. We learn in Psalm 119, uh, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So this is the part that I think is pretty clear as it relates to God's will from a Christian perspective that he has a moral will. It's his missional will that throws us for a loop. And I'm not referring to his great commission will as it relates to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, but more of his great personal will for our individual life. Like what did he create us uh, to be, to do? Yes, we're all to contextualize the gospel, but the deeper question, in what context, where, with who? That's where it can get confusing. So most of us tend to be much more interested, though, in grabbing on to God's missional will. But in general, that flows, Tim, out of his moral will. So when we're being obedient, we're being faithful, out of that comes his missional will. Like, here's what I created you for. 
Well, I think that's a really helpful distinction, but I noticed that you didn't say anything about God's perfect will. Was was that intentional? It was. That's not to say I don't think there is a perfect will of God. I just don't feel that we can confidently remain in it, this side of glory. Obviously, yeah. uh, what will take place in heaven is glorification is essentially, you know, we are going to be forever in God's perfect will as believers. So that's pretty cool when we think about living perfectly uh, in God's will without rebellion throughout eternity. But on earth, I think we might have moments where we dance in his perfect will or taste it. But I would not say that we can remain in it. There are people who claim that you could achieve entire sanctification. John Wesley was one of those, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church, uh, where God's will, um, you know, can be perfectly, uh, you know, fulfilled in your life. But I don't believe that we can even know that. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, uh, everything that we do, uh, I just think it can get confusing at times. And so for me, uh, when I think about God's will, it is important to understand what his will means. Uh, you know, Plato talks about the idea of Euthyphro's dilemma. And this is the dilemma that asks the question, and I'll use it in terms of monotheism, but the way it was presented would have been more in a polytheistic fashion. But is something good because God wills it or does God will it because it is good? Now, that's a mouthful, and it almost sounds like I said the same thing, but I really didn't. Is something good because God wills it, or is something good be, you know, because it is good, independent of God? So right. you either have arbitrary goodness, uh, or you have independent goodness. And I don't think that's where we understand goodness at all. Goodness flows from God's good nature. So God wills something, not because he's arbitrary and willing, nor does he will something because he is striving to conform to an independent good, like as in the Platonic realm of goods, but rather God wills something and issues us divine commands that become our moral obligations because he is good. And so some people have read the Bible like philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, uh, and he talks about this idea of the teleological suspension of the ethical as it relates to uh, Abraham's story in Genesis 22. And he's like, hey, the word teleological just has to, comes from the Greek word teleos, which means, you know, purpose, end. And so what he's saying is God will suspend his ethical purposes for a higher purpose. Hence, mm. sacrifice your child, uh, he tells Abraham about Isaac. But I think Kierkegaard, as sharp as he was, I think he missed it on this one. I don't think that that was an endorsement of child sacrifice. But that's just to show that if we don't understand the nature of God's will, that it is a good will, if we think that his will is arbitrary, then we might think that God commands people to kill people. Well, and I think that that's a really helpful distinction, and especially thanks for kind of clarifying the Euthyphro dilemma. I've seen people misunderstand or, or mis misapply the Euthyphro dilemma several times, but what, what are some misconceptions or some, some common re reasons that people are confused about God's will? There are a number of them, Tim, and we won't be able to address them all right here, but just a few thoughts. Um, we can miss God's will on moral grounds. Uh, to be morally at odds with God's word can be spiritually debilitating. And how often have we seen people whose moral lifestyles are out of sync with God? And so what do they do? Well, they want God to feel good about them, 
they want to feel good about themselves. So they begin to try in their own ways, lower the standard of morality so that they could feel better about themselves instead of repenting from uh, the lifestyle that they're engaged in. It's causing them to experience this sense of tension. So being out of God's moral will uh, can certainly be debilitating as it relates to discovering his missional will. False teaching can add to this confusion. Uh, prosperity gospel, faith healers, uh, you know, even good teachers like a St. Augustine can lock us up. Think about, uh, I just read his confessions again this past week. And here's somebody that we know had a very promiscuous past and coming out of that promiscuous past, he came to the place where he believed, look, for a husband and wife, if you're going to be intimate, it's procreation only. I mean, you're not coming together for pleasure. And that kind of went on throughout the middle of ages. So I'm thinking about how many married couples felt like they were doing the wrong thing to be intimate with each other when it wasn't for the purpose of procreation. So there can be false teaching that can lock us up. Mental Thanks health. a lot, teaching. Augustine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, well, fortunately, um, in my marriage, we were able to realize that he erred in that way. And we were going to celebrate uh, what the Bible says. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Right. So a amen to that. Amen to that. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Continue. Continue on. I, I apologize. That's OK, Tim. Uh, mental health can contribute uh, as well. For example, a person with an anxiety disorder can worry away his faith in the name of fear. And so the mental health gets in the way of discovering what God has in store. It's like a guy um, called in on Pastor's Perspective radio show. And he said, man, I have so much fear that Satan has put in my heart that I can't even get busy with God's kingdom work because I'm fearful of the things that the enemy is going to do to me if I get engaged in this kind of stuff. And so that's definitely problematic. So spiritual warfare can be another aspect of it. And then I'd even say suffering. I mean, it can be unbearable. And so, um, you know, God won't give me any more than we can handle. We've heard that lots of times, but that's not a true statement. God won't give us any more than he can handle. And frankly, that scares the life out of me because he can handle way more than I can handle, which means that I could go through way more than I could possibly imagine. But Billy Graham, the great late evangelist, said the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Well, I think that's an excellent quote. And I was just talking to a friend the other day about anxiety and, and, and the passage in Matthew. And so we were kind of just unpacking that. And as we were looking at it, it's really that we need to see God and, and, and seek God first and his righteousness first. And that was kind of the main point of that. Uh, you know, the birds are, are going to, you know, go where they go and and God, you know, kind of uh, decorates the fields, but we shouldn't have anxiety about that. What we should really do is be seeking God. So how can we make sense of God's will and go about discovering it? It's such an important question. Right? Yeah, that is an important question, Tim. I'd say we need to be morally faithful to what we know we're supposed to be faithful to. So hmm. for example, um, I think what can happen, Tim, is we can know that God has a certain moral standard for our life, and which, by the way, is for our own protection. Hmm. Like God's not putting us through a test, like in creating us, giving us a moral law, and then kind of just stepping back with his arms crossed and, oh, is he going to pass this test again? Hmm. It's so much bigger than that. It's, it's not about that. God is trying to protect us from having a life 
that is filled and replete with consequences. He wants us to know blessing. He doesn't want us bogged down with guilt and shame and fear and regret. And so he's saying, if we're not going to be bogged down with those qualities in our life, then it's going to mean walking morally faithful. But many people, they are begging God, what am I created for? What am I here for? What did, what do you have in store for me? While they're sitting around having sex with their girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, several times a week. Well, the Bible's already very clear, right? That sex has a context in marriage. Mm -hmm. So why in the world would God pass off his missional will, like what he created us for, if we're going to go out and sort of be stains on his, uh, you know, kingdom. So I think one of the things that often happens is Jesus brings us to himself, right? And we spend time with him in sanctification and we grow. And it's not that we're like ever going to be in a place where we're not going to be fumbling through life, but we're going to fumble less. And I think he gets us to a place typically whereby, hey, we're ready to be a character example before the world that we're living out our missional purpose that God's given to us. Mm. But many people just want God's missional purpose, but they don't realize it's a gift that God hasn't given that to them because if we go out and represent God's missional purpose, but we're morally a mess, all we're going to do is create a black eye for the church. So that's why these type of things are important for us to think about. First Thessalonians 4, 3, we read, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, so there's a verse right there that tells us that part of God's will is abstaining from sexual immorality. Well, try that on for size in today's culture where people are celebrating sexual immorality. First mm -hmm. Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, boy, you want to talk about an area where I can come up short in all circumstances. So I'd say these verses are helpful. God does want us to learn how to be thankful in all circumstances. He says, this is the will of God for us. I'd also say get engaged, start serving somewhere, you know, discovering God's will is well, it's about discovering. You just got to get out there and discovering who you are and who you're not is important. It takes time. It takes mentors. It takes reflection, but eventually something will emerge. And don't expect when that call that God has on your life emerges that you necessarily are going to do that same thing the rest of your life. When I was a new Christian, I thought I was going to be an evangelist for, you know, my lifelong call. But it turned out that, you know, I was a staff evangelist in a church for, you know, a few years. But I found that my desire for evangelism, it, it started to shrink and I got really concerned. And I went to a pastor mentor and I said, I'm not sure what's going on. And boy, he had such wisdom. He said, do not beat yourself up about this. I mean, I was a guy sharing 50 to hundred people a week in evangelism. So it wasn't yeah. like I wasn't being faithful in the process. I was out sharing the gospel, but all of a sudden I didn't feel as burdened to share with as many people anymore. Uh, and not that I, you know, shouldn't have, but it just meant that something was changing. And I was trying to figure it out. And the, and the pastor said, Bobby, when God needs to increase passion in another area of your life, sometimes he'll decrease a, another passion in order to increase passion in another area so that he can make you well-rounded. And if you're going to be a pastor someday, he has to well get you well-rounded. You're going to have to be passionate about other things besides 
evangelism. And that made perfect sense. Uh, yeah, amen to that. But And I noticed one thing that you, you didn't say is you didn't yeah. say in order to know God's will is to look at your bank account and see how that's doing. Or in order to know <laughs> God's will, you have to look at your health status or to look at you know the, the, the happiness, not the joy, not the deep-seated joy, but your happiness. So I think that's really important, particularly in today's culture. But be, before we get, Bobby, to some verses that are often taken out of context, I would love to just remind our audience that we value your feedback. And, and in the comment section of this video on YouTube, we would love to hear from you. So if you're listening to the audio-only version of this, whether it's on k or whether on our audio-only podcast, we would love for you to go on over to our YouTube channel, subscribe. It's a completely free way to help support the show. And if you have any suggestions or disagreements or you just want to say hi, please do so in the comments. We love to read those. So, Bobby, I, I just kind of mentioned there some things that you didn't say about how to know what God's will was by looking at our bank account and stuff. But what are some verses that Christians have often maybe taken out of context under this, you know, kind of heading of God's will that sometimes we do it to our own demise? Hmm. Yeah, and I would invite our listeners to think about verses as well and maybe contribute uh, to the ones that I'll share. And we have done an episode on the past about verses being taken out of context that I would remind people to consider. But Jeremiah 29, 11 is a standard one for, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And we end up thinking that, you know, God's got this plan uh, in Jeremiah 29, 11, that is for, you know, corporate Israel, that it's going to specifically be worked out in our individual life. And the reality is, is, you know, God does have a plan for us, but it doesn't always mean it's going to be successful according to worldly standards, right? So I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you to make you successful. Well, you know, you get a businessman that reads that thing and some entrepreneur, and he'll go write a book talking about, you know, hey man, God wants you successful. And here's what success means. And, you know, now we're totally outside of the fact that, you know what, uh, Jeremiah was a prophet dealing with people who were headed in to captivity. Uh, not a good thing, right? Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in heaven. Well, you know, Tim, sometimes people think he'll supply all of our wants. He doesn't do that. Romans 8.28, for I know the plans I have, for, or not, um, that's Jeremiah 29, I'm already dealt with that. Uh, Romans 8.28, uh, you know, it talks about how God works all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So, we have been called according to a purpose. God does love us, but it tells us that he works things together for the good of those who love him. Hmm. So in other words, when we're Christians and we love God, God has a way of putting our life back together. I think about my relapse five years ago, for example. Had I been told after my relapse that my life would be rebuilt back the way it is today, I couldn't have hardly believed it. I mean, he is so good. And that's what he does. He, he graces us. But for somebody that hates God and they're just going to keep doing whatever they want to do, uh, they should think that, you know, their life's going to turn out great on account of God's doing when they're living in utter rebellion toward him. Well, you set up these these two categories, which I think are great, the missional will and kind of the moral will. So, But I think a question that lingers, maybe specifically some characters in the Bible that you know we can talk about, why does God use some people to fulfill his missional will, even though they're clearly outside of God's moral will? I mean, again, someone that comes to mind might be someone like Ravi Zacharias or something like that. But, but there mm -hmm. are, are there characters in the Bible that maybe fit that category and, and help us unpack that? There are, and Jonah is a perfect example perfect example. 
I mean, God tells him to go to Nineveh and he goes the opposite direction. Yeah. Everything in the book of Jonah obeys Jonah, obeys God except Jonah. Uh, <laughs> the worm, the, the bush that grows up over him, uh, the captains at sea, the sailors, um, you know, the king of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, even the great fish, the winds, everything. Creation yeah. is obeying God. But the prophet is not, and yet God's using the prophet. Well, this is not an affirmation of rebellion. God dealt with, you know, his stubborn heart. It's just that we serve a God that is so good that when there are people in our midst, if their heart's in the right place, he can meet them through a heart that isn't in the right place. And that says a lot more about God. So that's why someone like a Benny Hinn, uh, somebody could have went to a stadium event and maybe they got healed. Well, it's not that Benny Hinn's methods or ways is what's healing anybody. It's not even, uh, you know, that at all. It's God's grace working because of the person who was believing that God could do something and God will sometimes do that. And we always have to keep learning what the Bible has to say and keep that discernment in place. Well, is it okay to pray for a sign from God to maybe confirm God's will? I think it is. I mean, early on as Christians, Tim, uh, we'll tend to have more of that. Uh, That's because we don't know the Bible. And that was my story. Uh, I didn't know God's word, so there would be more of those. I still feel like if there's a strategic decision or life-altering decision, you know, I'll ask God, please make it clear. Uh, So I do everything I can to discern his will through the word of God. And then I start looking for some contextual confirmation. And God does that kind of thing. I mean, Abraham sent his servant out to go find a wife for Isaac. And lo and behold, he prayed for a sign and God provided that. Gideon did the same thing with his fleece situation. Uh, Or the Magi. These Magi uh, were Zoroastrians. And basically they were into astrology, uh, you know, astronomy. They're reading the stars. Well, God meets them where they are to take them to where he's at. This wasn't an affirmation of the gospel and the stars or, or doing, you know, astrology. It was just God was dealing with some Persians that had their own methods and he met them where they were. And what does he do? He takes them on their journey and he uses that for a one-time instance and he brings them to the truth, which was God in the flesh right before them. Amen to that. Well, Bobby, any final advice that you want to leave our audience with? I would say get unstuck. You know, sometimes we miss gaining momentum because we're so hesitant waiting for God's perfect will. Uh, we Or we just put it off. I'll get busy starting tomorrow, starting tomorrow, starting tomorrow. Listen, we're accountable for the time that's been given to us. Uh, teach us to number our days, O Lord. So I would say that there's a time to wait and there's a time to execute. So I would say, start executing, getting after it. Many think that, hey, if I make one wrong move, then I'm a hose. Well, God's not like that. He has a way of knowing how to get us back on track. As the late Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. So I think we just need to get out there and start doing it. Proverbs 16, 9, how about this? We should make our plans, counting on God to direct us. And how about this, Tim? 
Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for uh, you know helping us unpack this very important topic. Uh, I, I want to let our audience yeah. know that if you are left with wanting more, you might want to check out episode 12 of Christianity Still Makes Sense, and that's called Navigating Ethical Gray Areas. As always, we hope that you learned something. I know that I did, and we will meet you next time on Christianity Still Makes Sense.